I wonder if any of you have ever felt left out of anything. Perhaps you were the kid in your school who sat alone at the lunch table. If you weren't that kid, I uh, can bet that a person comes to mind. You know who that was. If it wasn't you, you know who it was that got left out. Maybe you've experienced it or known it in your own family. I can remember family reunions where one uh, particular uncle always sat by himself. He isolated himself until one of us deliberately went and sat with him. And honestly, he was a little quirky, but he was still in the family. Or maybe you have experienced it or seen it even in the church. You know, at any potluck dinner or any gathering where there's a meal that we share, even when we come into worship, if you look around, there will be people that are sitting by themselves. And sure, sometimes people choose to sit by themselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you go to a potluck or a dinner, a meal, a shared meal where people are gathered together for that purpose, when people are sitting by themselves, often it is because they don't know anybody. Or perhaps it's because they feel different from the rest of the people there. Or perhaps they're shy, or perhaps they have a quirky personality like my uncle. But it happens for all of us, either personally or to witness it. And as people of God, we're created in the image of God. God who is, by nature, a relational God. We are created to be in relationship with God and with one another. We long for connection with one another by design. When people are isolated or left out, it's usually not intentional on the part of the ones who are doing the leaving out. It's human nature for us to gather with people who look like us and talk like us and and think like us. But perhaps it's divine nature in us that can help us see beyond us to those who are left out. Because we know that to be left out and to be isolated and to feel unwelcome is painful. And it really goes against the whole design, the whole intent that God has for us I wonder what it would look like if we could see differently or be attentive differently and and understand that because we are welcome, because we are welcome, we are empowered to welcome others. Because we belong, we are empowered to invite others to belong. Do you know how it feels to be left out? Do you know how it feels to be the one doing the leaving out? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us today, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Every month, and in some services on campus each week, we celebrate Holy Communion together. We, we come to this table that is God's table, where we are fed and nourished by the very real presence of Christ in the bread and in the juice. And all are welcome at this table. 
most of the time, we will say, this is God's table. It is not Bethany United Methodist table. It is not a United Methodist table. This is God's table. And all are welcome to come to this table. At this table of God that has been set for us even tonight, at this table, there is no room to be alone. Even if you come to the table by yourself, even if you come alone, the truth is that Jesus is present at this table. And the communion of saints who have gone before us are all gathered with us around this table. There is no room to be alone. When we come to this table, all of our differences become irrelevant. The color of our skin, the level of our education, the amount of money we have in the bank, our political affiliation, our theological positions, our uh, age, our gender, all of the things that make us different from one another, when we come to this table, become irrelevant. Because when we come to this table, to God's table, God sees us in Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God sees us as beloved children coming to the table that God has prepared for us. We come because we all need mercy and grace. There's no one that needs more or less. There's no one that receives more or less. We all come because we all need grace. We all need mercy. We all need to remember the story of God's redemptive love for us. The story of of salvation, the story of having been broken and being made whole in Christ, the story of being far away and being brought home. We all need to come to the table. We all need that mercy and that grace. We come not because of anything we've done, but because of what God has done, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And we come because God welcomes us, all of us, to this table. Next weekend, I hope that you will make plans to be here for sure. The choir and orchestra are presenting their cantata, A Journey to Hope. And this whole Lenten series has been based on the songs that are in that cantata. The song that they are doing this weekend, and if you come at 11 o'clock tomorrow, you can hear it. It's called uh, Come to the Welcome Table. And it is based on, it refers to a passage out of Revelation 19, uh, the, the marriage feast, the banquet of the lamb when when Christ returns this is the vision that John had then i heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready to her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen bright and pure For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, This idea that this marriage feast, this banquet, this wedding banquet, this shared meal was a common image for people throughout 
throughout history of God's people sharing a meal together. And when Christ returns, it'll be a big feast, this wedding banquet when we're finally reunited and reconciled to Christ forever. Throughout scripture, this, this imagery of a feast and, and a banquet and the spiritual come to the welcome table was one that our African-American brothers and sisters sang and proclaim and held on to in their time of slavery, when they were not welcome at even their master's table because they were different. And so they would sing this song, I'm going to sit at the welcome table, knowing that God's welcome was for them. They, they lived in, in the promise of the future, even though their present circumstances restricted them and kept them from being fully included. They sang out of hope and out of confidence that they had in God and in the promises of God in which they knew they were welcome. Sharing meals together has been uh, part of the people of God for from the beginning of time, even in the Old Testament, the, the sharing of a meal together and the bonding that happens, the commitment that makes when we share meals with one another. In the New Testament, and uh, as Jesus shared meals with his disciples and with all sorts of people, and then in the early church, as the disciples gathered after Jesus' death and resurrection and received the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. As the early uh, church began to form these followers of Jesus, these ones who had now been empowered by God's spirit to, to follow in the way of Jesus, to love God and to love others, to live kind of against the grain of, of the culture, they began to gather and they did these four things, right? They, they gathered for, uh, de devoted to the apostles' teaching and for fellowship and to break bread together and for prayer. This pattern of these things uh, ran throughout the early church's life. And that was really how the communities of faith grew, coming together around those four things, but in particular coming together around sharing a meal, being together. And just like us, these, these people of God, uh, these early followers of Jesus, just like us, they were as much people as they were of God. Just like us, they wanted so badly to get it right, and sometimes they just didn't. Paul writes to the Corinthians um, two different letters, and in this particular letter, the first letter to them, now in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear among you who are genuine. Uh, so it's interesting because depending on where you stand in the community and what your position is in the community, you're going to read that differently. 
But what I was reading this week said, what Paul is saying really is a word of truth and a word of warning to those who were sure of their position and their power. That, that the factions that were being perpetuated and, and being lived out would reveal whose uh, faith was genuine, who was genuinely following Jesus. And, and what Paul is wanting them to hear is that it probably isn't going to be the people that they think it is. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. So what was happening was that in these shared meals, one of those meals um, might sound familiar to you. is called an agape feast or a love feast. And it's where they would come together and they would bring food to share. Sometimes the, the feast itself, the agape feast, might be simply bread and water that they shared as they heard the apostles teaching and as they prayed. And uh, other times it was a full meal that they shared together and often then led into Holy Communion, into, into sharing what we know as the sacrament. It wasn't the agape feast and Holy Communion were not the same things. This meal that Paul's talking to them about is one of those shared meals where everybody brought something and then everybody participated in the meal. The social uh, economic conditions of the time were that there were some, a few, who had money and power, the haves, and there were many who had no money and no power, the have-nots, and there really wasn't a very strong in-between. And so what had started out probably as people bringing what they had and sharing what they had for the common good became that the people who had more brought what they had but then would isolate themselves and have their own meal with what they brought rather than making it available. And so while they were feasting, others had nothing. And Paul says that is, that is exactly the opposite of what you've been commanded to do. It's the exact opposite of what it means to be a community in the body of Christ. This what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is not about being divided. It's about being one body. So in this, uh, these words to him, he's calling them to task for probably having started out well and then gotten off course. He's reminding them as he talks to them about the Lord's Supper that, that what they know as Holy Communion or the Eucharist, which literally means to give thanks, what they know about that comes directly out of a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. Remember, when we hear about uh, the, the words of institution for the bread and the cup, about the new covenant that Jesus makes, and about the bread, his body broken for us, it's in the context of that last supper, that Passover feast that he was sharing with his disciples. Come on Monday, Thursday, we'll talk about the feast that led into that Holy Communion. So Paul's reminded them, hey, it was within the context of a meal that Jesus had that we get then these words of institution. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, the old covenant in the Old Testament was all about the law. This new covenant that Jesus expounds on more in the Gospel of John is about love. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul goes on, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we come to this table and when we remember the story of of salvation, of God's redemptive love from the beginning of time, of God's pursuit of God's people, of God's mercy and God's forgiveness, when we remember the story at the table, we remember that it's our story too. We are in this story. It's not just a a story that we tell, uh, that we might um, tell just to remember the facts of it. We're in the story. This is the story that transforms who we are. And as often as we remember, as often as we come to the table and receive, then we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We live even now in this, this time that is the now and the not yet, like our African-American brothers and sisters who lived in slavery, their now was to live in slavery. The not yet that they held on to was a day when they would be free. We live in the now and the not yet of Jesus was alive and Jesus died and was raised to new life and we're still waiting for Jesus to return. We live in, in the now of the broken world in which we struggle in our relationships with one another and with God. We live in the now in which we are all still human. And we live even in the now, in the not yet, in the promise that Jesus will return, in the promise that when Jesus returns, death and tears and suffering will be no more. In the promise that when Jesus returns, we're all made one, fully one. The now and the not yet. And in the tension of all of that, we don't live without hope and without provision and without purpose for our journey. Because we find it in remembering who we are, who we're created to be, and remembering who God is, and remembering who we are called to be as ones who follow Jesus. I've been pondering this week what it means for us to come to this table And when we come, we receive the body and the blood of Christ. We receive it. We take it in. It becomes part of us. And when we do, then that means that we literally carry it out with us. We literally carry it back out into the world with us. And if we carry it back out into the world with us, then to some degree, every table that we sit at becomes an opportunity to become the table of God. When we receive the body and the blood of Christ and we carry it with us back out into the world, then every table that we sit at becomes an opportunity to become the table of God. Think about what that means for us. When we come and receive, it's not just within the context of this worship service. It goes with us, and we are the body of Christ. We become, our prayers that we become for the world, the body of Christ. 
the blood of Christ, broken and redeemed, that, that we carry that out into the world. That we're carrying this story, this good news, the, the story of redemptive love out into the world, proclaiming Jesus now and not yet. And we live it out wherever we are, but there are still people who sit by themselves. There are still people who are left out and who are alone. Usually, honestly, because they are different than the majority in some way. They're different either in how they look or how they talk or what they do. And our tendency, as I said before, our human nature is for us to gather with people who are like us. Because there's safety there and there's understanding there. And we don't have to work as hard to to see, really see one another when we all look alike. That's our human nature, but perhaps it's our divine nature, the divine nature in us to welcome people who aren't like us. To risk sitting at the same table and actually getting to know someone else. To risk the realization that on the inside, we're pretty much the same. Our outsides look different, but on the inside, we're pretty much the same. And to own that welcoming others to our table does not threaten our place at the table. All are welcome. When we come to this table, our differences become irrelevant. So when we welcome others, it's not a threat to us. It makes the kingdom of God a reality in the now. We can still honor our differences without letting them divide us because at the core we are all created to belong to God and to one another and we're all welcome at the table. This is Dennis Esmonton who is, um, he started a, a group at a high school in Boca Raton, Florida. His story was on CBS News a couple of years ago. He was an immigrant from Haiti when he was in the first grade and he knew all too well that feeling of sitting alone at lunch, of being the one who got left out. And so as a senior in high school, in uh, his high school at Boca Raton, he created a club called We Dine Together and invited other people to be part of it. Their whole goal was to make sure that no one sat alone at lunch. And so they would go out into the courtyard. These group of people, they would meet together, and then they would go to the courtyard and, and go meet people they didn't know and go especially to those who were sitting by themselves and introduce themselves, ask them about themselves, eat with them, offer to eat with them the next day. And this we dine together took off. Friendships were formed in the most, un- most unlikely places between the most unlikely people. And there are clubs, we dine together clubs around the world now so that no one has to eat alone. These are students that are driving this. Relationships are built over the table, this shared meal. This is a biblical thing. We share a meal together so that we can build relationship with one another. There's an intimacy in sharing a meal and building relationship. No One Eats Alone is another organization that does the same thing. Driven by students who have felt alone 
and are determined that others won't have to. I wonder what it would look like if the church did this. I wonder what our welcome table would look like if, if really gathered around the table were people from all ages and races and nations. If we lived into our baptismal covenant, really we're all are welcome. What would it look like if the church as the body of Christ, as you and me, if we did this, everyone dines together? What would it look like to know that because you and I are welcome at this table, at God's table, that we are free to live as ones who welcome others to our tables? What would it look like for you to share a meal with someone who is different from you, not to change their minds, but to know their hearts? What would that look like for you to share a meal? Heck, just go have coffee with someone who is different from you, not to change their minds, but to know their hearts. I suspect if the church decided that we all dine together, that perhaps the kingdom of God might become more reality now, even as we wait for what is yet to come. God welcomes us to this table. Will we, will we welcome others to our tables? It's up to us to do it. Let the people say amen.